I mentioned last week the conversations that I had with Rabbi Eli on the plane back from Israel, eight hours of talking Genesis. That was not the only travels I took this summer. Upon returning, my wife and I packed up and headed to Europe for our 40th anniversary. If you're trying to do the math, we were just little kids when we got married. We knew all along that we would, for our 40th, go to Italy, but then we decided as we were putting it together, we really should stop in Germany and Austria, and so we went to Munich and Vienna on the way. I'm pretty sure that the highlight in Munich was visiting Dachau, the concentration camp, and it's hard to imagine calling something like that a highlight, but you get the point. In Vienna, we had another taste of World War II, the place from which Hitler launched and announced the Third Reich. But we also got to go to a Mozart concerto that night in a beautiful old church. And then we were on to Italy, where it was all about the art and the trinity of wine, pasta, and gelato. <laughs> and oh my gosh, was it great. I don't know if your passport is up to date, but travel is a common theme in scripture, beginning with this story. You heard it, Abram and Sarai, we later know them as Abraham and Sarah, they are collecting social security and they are on Medicare when the voice of God speaks and says, go, leave behind your kindred, your family, and go. And this will not be the last time that God says something like this to people. God will tell prophets to leave their homes and to go and speak to kings when they depart from the ways of God. There will even be songs written so that you could sing these as you travel up to Jerusalem, Psalms of Ascent. And when you get to the pages of the New Testament, one of the first things Jesus does is call people to come and follow him. Now, scholars are quick to point out there is a big difference between traveling in the name of religion or pilgrimage and tourism, and it has nothing to do with how much gelato is consumed. They note that for tourism, it's all about the destination. You're going to the beach, you're going to the mountains, where, wherever it is, that's where you're going. But in religious pilgrimage, it is not just the destination, but the journey along the way. And I would add, it is also about the people that you meet along the way. Very important part of religious pilgrimage. In the passage, Abraham and Sarah are called to leave one place and go to another. It just so happens the another place they're supposed to go is occupied by the Canaanites. And this has been trouble in the Middle East ever since. But before we point a bony finger at the Israelis and their policies toward the Palestinians or toward Hamas and their reactions, I was thinking about travel that is closer to home and the tensions within it. Anybody got one last trip before or maybe over Labor Day weekend? It reminded me of several years ago when our kids were little, we took a vacation back to Texas, which is where my wife and I grew up. We agreed to meet her parents and some friends of theirs just outside of San Antonio. And on the next to the last day, we were fishing, and my father-in-law's friend Tommy said, 
I hear you're cutting your vacation short by a day. And, and he was right. I had agreed, Carol and the kids would stay on, but I had agreed to do a conference for ministers in Wisconsin, and so I was flying out a day early, and I said, yeah, you know, and I told him the details, and he put down his rod and looked at me. Now remember, this is Texas, and he said, Wisconsin. Why would anybody go to Wisconsin? <laughs> Wisconsin? You, you would have thought I said Mars or something. If, if you'd grown up in Texas, you would recognize this, the kind of notion that we don't need to go anywhere beyond our borders. And I think two things are at play there. One is great pride in what we have, where we are, but the other is a fear of the unknown. And I hate to say it, but I recognize it in myself. I think it was about 10 years ago now, I was invited to give lectures at a university in Seoul, South Korea, and then to stay on and preach Sunday at a church that has 10,000 people in each service. It's like a little city. And it was a fantastic trip. Uh, they were so gracious. My host took me around to do sightseeing and museums and all those things. And on the one day when he couldn't go with me, he said, you can do whatever you want. He said, but carry this piece of paper in your pocket. Now, I don't know exactly what it said because I don't read Korean, but my hunch is it said something like, this is one dumb American. But if you find him, please return him to this address. And so I ventured out. I went to a mall. I, I actually saw a James Bond movie in Korean with subtitles, and I had a great time. But here's my confession. Before I went, I was scared. My before-going fear was related to food. I'm not all that adventurous when it comes to food. I mean, I like Italian, and I like Mexican, and barbecue, and cheeseburgers, and, but... Korean just scared me. So my suitcase was full of granola bars. <laughs> I was not going to starve to death. And it turns out I loved the food. Now, I have no clue what was in some of it, and I don't want to know, but it was wonderful. The real confession is it wasn't the food that scared me. When I arrived... I got my suitcase, I went through the passport, custom stuff, out into the arrivals hall, big arrivals hall, and a sea of Korean faces, which is what you'd expect, and people with those signs with names on them, and I'm looking, and there's no sign with the name Graves on it. And I thought, well, you know, there's a sea of people here, so I pushed through the sea of people, I pushed back through the sea of people, and eventually the sea of people were gone, and I was left alone, and I was sitting on a bench, and I thought, oh my gosh, what in the world am I doing? This was for over an hour. He, he was stuck in traffic. But for an hour, I was nervous. It, it's not rational. I mean, I'm owning up to it. I, it's not rational. But I have figured out something about it. I had been to other countries, but every other country I'd been to, they either spoke English or I knew enough German, French, or Spanish to get by. I didn't know any Korean. And I was nervous. I think it had something to do with language, which turns out has something to do with this passage in Genesis. Now, this is chapter 12. 
verses one through four, but the Bible wasn't written like that. It didn't have chapters and verses. It was just all on the page. And so to understand this story, you just look across the page and you get an explanation of where Abram's come from. It's his family tree, but you also get a great story. It's about these people who settle in a city and say, no more travel for us, we're staying right here. And they decide to build a great city and a great tower that'll go up to the heavens, touch the clouds. And God comes down and is not impressed and confuses their language. They all start speaking in different languages and scatters them abroad. And some people, they read that story and they go, that, that, that's punishment. God is punishing them. But I don't think so. That's one way to read it, but I don't think it is. I think the two factors of pride and fear are here again. There's pride because they're going to build a great city, great tower. But the fear is of the people who speak different languages. But what if we viewed it as a gift? What if travel and encountering people who are different from us is God's plan all along. It's part of God's tapestry. What's often missed in this passage is the little phrase, and all the families of the earth will be blessed. You know, all the families. Not just the ones who vote like us, and not just the ones who say y'all instead of you guys, and not just the ones who are straight, and not just the ones who are affluent, and not just, you know, the list goes on and on. What if all the families were blessed? I know some people who are afraid to travel to the Middle East or even east of truth. What do those fears say about us? About a month ago, my wife informed me that Sunday evening, we were gonna be grilling out on the driveway and inviting over friends and in families in the neighborhood that we don't know. Now, if we had taken a vote, there would have been a tie. <laughs> but we didn't take a vote. I was informed, and so I mumbled as I wheeled the grill around to the front. Grills are not supposed to be in the front. And I set up the tables, and I got the burgers and the dogs going, and then they started arriving, these people I didn't know. And it turns out it was very pleasant. I mean, we didn't all see things the same way, but it was, it was fine. But I just like the grill in the back, you know, where I can invite and select who's going to be there. I told you, this is church. I, I'm confessing. Some of you know the name Amy Jill Levine. She's a brilliant New Testament scholar who happens to be Jewish, which is a fascinating combination. And in her book, The Misunderstood Jew, she warns that we should be careful when using the definite article, the, in reference to people groups. You know, like the Jews, the Pharisees. She's got such a good point. I mean, if European friends ask you, so what do the Americans believe about racism? The Americans? Who is that? What are we doing when we use the, the blacks, the police, the protesters, the, the, the? On that plane ride back, Rabbi Ellie was on my right. We're talking Genesis, hours and hours and hours. And in front of Ellie, was a Hasidic Jew. 
You can recognize Hasidic Jews because of the black coat, long, the black hat, the curly sideburns. And for hours, I could tell he was pressing his ear into that crack, trying so hard to hear our conversation. And I thought, he's intrigued. And then I started to think, or maybe not. Maybe he's thinking, who is this guy talking to this Jew about Bible? I mean, who, who is he? Now, he never got up on his knees and turned around and, you know, looked us over or anything. But when he got up to go to the lavatory, he looked at us. And that's when I thought, oh, my gosh, he's looking at Ellie. He's thinking, who, who are you to be talking to this American Christian preacher about Jewish Bible? Are you crazy? You know those Hasidic Jews, I thought? Oh, they're so... And then I realized, how do I know what he's thinking? Why do I assume that he is thinking negative of us? What if I'm the prejudiced one? I am trying so hard not to use the with regard to people groups. So instead, you know, like, what does the congregation think about this? Or has the, no, no. It's, it, I'm trying to phrase questions more like, what do you think about these stories in Genesis? And what are your fears? What are you afraid of? Are, are, are there people you're afraid of? Or is it possible that you're prejudiced? 